0: what's up everyone welcome to the masters of community podcast my name is david Spinks, founder of cmx and vp of community at bevy each week i bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level thank you so much for joining me let's dive into today's episode hey everyone i just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book the business of belonging how to make community your competitive advantage is now available anywhere where you can buy books on amazon and any bookstore it is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we have an interview that I did at an event with the IBM team who is building the ERG internal community over there. I'm not going to do too much of an intro because Marsha from our team kicks off the intro at the event. But this is a great one for anyone who's doing ERG, employee resource group communities or internal communities for employees. IBM does it as, at a pretty incredible scale and we go deep into how they run their program. Enjoy.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the IBM playbook for scaling internal communities. I am so excited to get this event started today. My name is Marsha Drucker, and I'm the field marketing manager here at Bevi. Bevi is the world's first community event engine and we help companies build, grow and scale their global communities with community-led events. So today you're in our conference platform And we're gonna focus on how IBM manages over 250 employee groups across 50 countries that touch approximately 50,000 employees. Really incredible what they're able to do there. We're gonna dive into the nitty gritty of it, how they actually do this, the challenges and the triumphs. Cool, so our goals for the event, we wanna help everybody learn to get at least one actionable thing that you can implement with your community today. We want you to connect and to meet awesome people and to share your wins and challenges with your community. And we want to help your business grow through community. So with that, I'm really excited to introduce our moderator today for the Fireside Chat. So we have David Sphinx here, who's the VP of Community at Bevy and the founder of CMX, which is the largest community for community professionals. He's also the author of The Business of Belonging. David, welcome.
0: Thank you. So pumped for this chat.
1: Amazing, David. So I'll hand it over to you to introduce our speakers, and I'll pop back in when we're ready to jump into the networking rooms.
0: All right. Yeah. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining the panel. Very excited to dive in. And again, make sure to post your questions in the Q&A, because that's going to be our favorite part is when I shut up and you ask all the good questions. But very excited today to have Joy and Steffi here from IBM. They are two of the leaders... And I mean, just from chatting with them in preparation for this panel, it's one of the most advanced community programs that I've seen, and I've seen thousands. So I'm very excited to dive in. Joy, Steph, welcome.
2: David, thank you so much. I think Steph and I had such a great time meeting you that we were also anticipating and counting down the days. (laughs) And we wanted to say thank you to everybody who responded to our LinkedIn post. From Bevy and other companies, we see some familiar names out there. So thank you for being with
0: us today. Awesome. Well, why don't we just dive in? Because I know we only have 40 minutes. Usually my interviews go even longer on the podcast. So I'm going to really, we're going to get right into the good stuff here. I'd love to start with a little bit of history because not only is it one of the largest programs that I've seen, it's also one of the longest running programs that I've seen. It's The ERG program, or now it's called the Business Resource Group Program has been around for a very long time. So I wonder if you could each just share kind of your story of how you got into this work and give us a quick overview of the history of community at IBM.
2: Yeah, so I'm happy to get started. And so first of all, David, thank you for having us. And I think it's really important to do some context setting by looking at our roles. As part of my role as a global leader within diversity and inclusion, I get to lead and activate IBM's enterprise-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, That's obviously in support of our corporate purpose. We are focused absolutely on delivering employee-centric programs and initiatives. And that's where I want to start with the introduction. It's all about being employee-centric. So when we think about employee resource groups or at IBM, call it business resource groups, you talked a little bit about the history, which context is important. So a little bit of history about business resource groups at IBM. There's a great article out there. So for those of you that love research articles, here's one for you. It's called Diversity as a Strategy. And it actually is an interview with Lou Gershner, where he's talking about probably one of our most famous CEOs at IBM. And he also wrote a book called Elephants Can't Dance. And what Lou Gershner actually did was more than 25 years ago. So think about the context of where the United States was 25 years ago, as it relates to what did work look like then? 25 years ago, he and the current chief diversity and inclusion officer had this idea, this novel idea. What if we brought communities of like-minded people together? So David, back to your point, I love creating a sense of belonging. Let's go to your book. So it was about creating communities of people who had common cause. Bringing people together 25 years ago and anything called common cause felt a little bit vulnerable, bold, and provocative, because think about where the United States was 25 years ago. Anything about organizing or unionization is scary. So think about the bold, provocative idea of saying, hey, let's just do, let's form it on our own. Let's create communities of like-minded people to create these diverse, inclusive, equitable, purpose-driven workplaces together together. So when you think about the duration of this, there is an evolution, but it started more than two decades ago.
0: Love it. Steph, what's your, what's yeah. your, how did you get involved in this world?
3: Well, I always consider myself in a very unique and fortunate position to have gone through the entire process and evolution of BRGs. You've seen my spouse actually share in the chat. We've been leading BRGs for quite a while. I started leading a BRG in 2015. Again, with the support and encouragement of my spouse, we both led our LGBT plus BRG. And at that time, it wasn't an easy process. And I can speak about my experience here in the Philippines, because at that time, our BRG was structured very, it was very traditional. So we had a president, a vice president, a secretary, and so on and so forth. And what we noticed was that that doesn't work for us simply because there wasn't a mechanism to opt in and out of the leadership team. So it was pretty awkward for leaders who've been in the position for years to step down and new members who, have, who were potential leaders to opt in and start their leadership journey with us. So coming into the leadership team of the BRTs, the first thing that we did was to change the structure so that our leaders, all our leaders are now co-leaders with equal accountability for everything that we do and for the success of our BRT. And we were successful enough for us to get a nomination from Out in Equal, which allowed for my spouse and I to represent the country and fly to the U.S. It was my first time at that time to Disneyland in Orlando, which which changed our lives. So needless to say, we both met our future managers there. I met Joy there and she knows my secret. She knows how incredibly short I am. <laughs> and then my spouse and I actually also took a side trip and got married in New York which is a big deal because same-sex partnerships aren't recognized where we live. Mm. So now all that aside, this entire experience and opportunity sparked action within me and my spouse. So after much work around the BRGs, I was lucky to get a role in HR, which manages the BRG program. So now uh, I'm on the strategy side of things. And one of the biggest things to focus on was really intersectionality and allyship. So at IBM, we have eight communities. So intersectionality is inevitable. So we made a lot of changes in structure, in governance, so that planning would have been interconnected. We did that for a few years until now in a global role. I have more opportunity and influence to scale what we're successful. Now, I'm not saying that what we did was the way, the only way to be successful, sitting where I sit, I get to see what other BRGs are doing to be successful. So some BRGs have inclusion councils because the magnitude or numbers are not enough to create a BRG. Or maybe location-wise, it makes sense to create one BRG for three locations that are very, very close to each other. So BRGs have a flexibility to create an environment that works for their context. As, as Joy mentioned, context is very important. So what we do from a strategy standpoint is provide the structure or the template that they can use to be successful. So we have an overarching DNI strategy, we have strategic priorities for community because each community has a different challenge than all the rest of the communities. We have general goals for BRTs that we strive for, which covers the entire life cycle of the employee. So we have application and funding processes in place, We have communication strategies, we have transformation strategies, and so much more. Because the potential of the BRG program is something that can influence an organization's culture.
0: Right. Awesome. So I think Disney World changed a lot of our lives, so we can all relate to you there. And I just went to our first leadership retreat we had as a company. And the best part was guessing how tall everyone was. And for the most, a lot of them were right, but there are always a couple that really surprise you. In this virtual world, going and seeing people in person. Also, people look different. I don't know, like if I met you in person, there'd be like you look ten percent different than how you look on Zoom. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's like the angle, but anyway, back to BRGs. So, pretty comprehensive program. And just uh, Marsha mentioned it earlier, but just to reiterate, the scope of this program: over fifty-nine countries, over fifty thousand employees. So, it's pretty vast. And just to give it a little more color. Are all of the BRGs, are all these groups focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, or are there other kinds of identities that bring these groups together? What does that look like?
2: And so David, I'll start this and then Steph, I'm going to turn it over to you. Steph talked a little bit about governance, which is really important. Part of a governance is, well, what's the definition of a BRG? And I will tell you, this has even been an evolutionary process for us. Hmm. And so we are right in the middle of doing a BRG revitalization now because we have to understand and stay true to our core competency. So right now we do have BRGs based on communities. And when we use the word communities instead of constituencies, because constituencies has become such a polarizing term, we call them communities at IBM. So we have three global communities that would be our LGBT plus community, our women's community, and we call it people with diverse abilities community, which includes neurodiversity. Then you come into the United States and you have three underrepresented groups, our black community, Hispanic community, our Native American indigenous community. And then of course we have the Pan-Asian community. That's a name they've selected for themselves. And then we have one more protected group. That's the veterans community. Those are the corporately sponsored, corporately funded business resource groups at IBM. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't other communities of like-minded groups out there at IBM, but those that are recognized as business resource groups, they fit under one of those
3: eight categories.
0: Got it. Steph, anything to add?
3: No, uh, Joy pretty much mentioned everything, but I'd like to make the distinction of what the community is and what a BRG is. A community yeah. is exactly what Joy had mentioned, all of the eight communities that are recognized at IBM. Now, by nature and by blood, you're probably part of a community. I'm part of the Asian community. But if I want to do something more, a BRG is the vehicle that I would use to be able to create more impact that's recognized and funded by the corporation. So,
0: Got it. So the BRGs serve as kind of platforms for anybody within the company who wants to launch any sort of program or campaign for these different groups, they would work through the BRG to be able to run those programs.
2: Yeah. And I think one thing, David, if you don't mind, I'm going to add on top of that, the great thing about business resource groups, and Steph talked a little bit about this before, when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion at IBM, we report up through our chief diversity and inclusion officer. If you looked at the size of her total team, there's about 65 of us. Well, if you look at an organization that's global, that does business in 179 countries, we have 250,000 employees worldwide. 65 of us is not enough to cover diversity, equity, and inclusion globally. So we really have a strong dependency on these business resource groups. We really look at them as an extension of our diversity and inclusion mission and our strategy. So everything that they do, initiatives, programs, volunteerism, engagement, anywhere like Steps said around that life cycle, we need to make sure that they are aligned to our overarching mission and they have one client that they serve. We all have one client that we serve. That's the IBM employee. That's why we exist. Mm -hmm. We need to create environments where these IBMers can feel safe, included, and valued, appreciated in an environment where they can thrive. That's what we do. That's what drives us every day.
0: Well, Yeah, on one hand, I'm like, wow, 60 plus people on a community team sounds fantastic. But then when <laughs> you realize that IBM's the size of a small country, you realize, ah, maybe they can for yeah. more help. But it speaks to the value of taking this community-driven approach of empowering leaders within the organization to take the playbook that you can provide and run with it. And we're gonna dive into that and how you kind of empower employees to build on top of the platform. Before we do that, I wanna start with the most boring, but perhaps the most important question of why? Like why does the business invest in this? And from a success standpoint, how do you as a team measure success? How do you define success? And do you actually can you point to ROI? right? That's the worst question, but it's the one that we all have to face in the world of community building. Are you able to track the ROI of this program?
2: I'm going to start with an example, then I'm going to turn it over to Steph so we can talk a little bit about agile ways of working. Let me tell you, I think from a story perspective, why business resource groups matter for every company. And we can literally look back and reflect on the past 18 to 24 months. Let's think about the societal changes and impacts in our lives. Let's just go back to hashtag me too, press for progress, Black Lives Matter, no ban, no wall, stop Asian hate, won't be erased, say your name, pick anyone that you want. If we don't think that this is unprecedented times for things like compassion, kindness, justice, dignity, unity, these business resource groups enable all of that to happen. David, I'm going to go back to your book. Let's create a sense of belonging because how do we define inclusion in our organizations? Well, here's one way. Do employees feel like there's a sense of belonging at work? That's number one. Number two, do they feel as though the organization they're a part of not only embraces, but celebrates what makes them unique and special? That's inclusion. The second part of that equation is really about organizational trust. So for those of you that are out there and you're thinking about, oh, I'm in sales or I'm in consulting or I'm in any kind of relationship management business. Good luck with relationships that don't include trust. So these business resource groups enable us to create those trusting, compassionate environments where employees oftentimes will go to these business resource groups because there's a sense of belonging, camaraderie, companionship, and they also have the opportunity to do something good, something bigger than themselves. So creating a sense of community, organizing around a common cause, driving passion around something that they want to be a part of. I think these business resource groups are the number one way that we actually create inclusion, engagement, fairness, belonging.
0: And before I turn to you, Steph, so you just had a really good definition of inclusion there around do members, I think it was members of the community feel celebrated for who they are. Is is that right? That's right. That's correct.
2: I really, correct. That's I really exactly. like
0: that. Yeah. Because it, it, it like takes it a step or two farther than do they just feel safe and welcome? Like that should be the table stakes. But to say like, do they feel celebrated feels like a whole nother level of thinking about how to bring inclusion into your business or your community. Yeah. And are those things, you mentioned inclusion and belonging, those definitions of those terms and how you look at them at IBM, do you actually measure those things like through surveys? Do you have questions that specifically dive into whether or not members of the team feel those things and experience them?
2: Yeah. For the data, I'm going to turn it over to Steph because I know she has it all because I asked her to help us track this. But there are two ways. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned this at the very beginning, new ways of working. I mean, if any of us think that engagement looks the exact same way that it did even six months ago, it's impossible. Our organizations don't look the same. How we even measured engagement doesn't look the same. There's this great author out there, and I literally was listening to a a Gartner podcast yesterday, and literally what they said, when you think about engagement, think about three things, vigor, dedication, and absorption. And vigor was really about, oh, it's characterized by, does the employee feel as though in the, even in the face of adversity, they're going to exert extra effort. Then they started looking at absorption. When I come to work, do I love what I do? And do I get lost in what I'm doing? And then the last one was really around dedication, things like enthusiasm, pride. Can we look at all of those things in the same way when we look at? Before engagement was, oh, I get to see my manager, oh, I get to see my team, oh, maybe I collectively go to a building, or maybe even my work environment is different. We've seen so many people affected by COVID, and you mentioned this, David, when you and I first got on the call. You said, I made it on time, I dropped off my wife and my child, and I made it on time, so your house is empty. But right now, there are so many people where, I mean, behind the door, there are spouses and other workers and children. And at any moment, you could have a guest appearance back there.
0: <sighs> that was me so, for the first year of COVID, by the way. <laughs> My wife's a true, teacher, so now she's back in school.
2: <laughs> and it's so true, David. So the way we measure those things, so sure. two ways I would say at IBM. One is there's absolutely an annual employee engagement survey. But if we ever think that annual employee engagement surveys are the only way to measure engagement, we're kidding ourselves. I really recommend doing something that we also experiment with at IBM called mini pulse surveys. Mini pulse surveys are very topical. They're very spontaneous. Maybe we realize there's a business unit or a community or there's something that's happened in the, around the world that we want to talk about. We can mini pulse 250,000 people at any one time. So what happens when you take a mini pulse that's open to everybody, they get to participate in that survey, then you see those aggregate results, then you have point in time engagement in that moment, which I think is really important when you're thinking about engagement, you should really think about holistically and year over year, but I think you should also look spontaneously what's happening in the moment. Um, And Steph does have some data that we actually use to say, are we making a difference. So David, I'll turn it over to you in case you have a question for Steph, but Steph brought some data for Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd love to hear the data. I'm curious on a specific question with a surveying because, so we do something similar, right? We do an annual survey, but then the mini pulses, I guess, by definition of being mini, they're very short, right? Are they just a few questions? Like how long are the surveys?
2: The biggest mini pulse I've ever seen has been five questions. Five Normally minutes. they can literally be one question. Or they can be three questions. The most I've ever seen at one time, and by the way, it was COVID. I saw five questions. And a lot of that was related around like, how are you doing? What's your work mm-hmm. environment? What additional help can you do? Are you feeling supported, right? That's the only time I ever saw more than three questions in our mini-post.
0: And are they anonymous? or Are you able to still tie them back to different groups?
2: Yeah, they're completely anonymous. So in our intranet site, mini-pulses show up in the upper right-hand corner. So when you log in, you can go, oh, there's a mini-pulse today, right? And then you can choose. I can go right past that mini-pulse and go, oh, you know what, that topic is not really relevant to me. I'm not going to click on that. Or maybe I look at it, I feel like it's really relevant or I have an opinion. If you don't think that you're going to get somebody's honest opinion on that day when they walk in and they log in and they look and they go, oh, I got an emotional reaction to that today. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. That's when I think it's really important. That's when you get really rich data that's when it becomes rigorous.
0: And are you able to still have cross tabs with that data? I'm getting real into the survey yeah. approach here, but are you able to still see like, this is how our black employees responded, this is how our Asian employees responded without mm-hmm. having to collect that? Are you using tools that let you have all that background information?
2: I'm so glad that you asked that. So when Steph goes into the engagement data, the annual employee engagement data, we absolutely positively have the ability to look at two metrics. Engagement and inclusion. And we do break that down by community because when people sign in to the employee engagement survey, that is automatically captured and we do ask their business unit, their geography, they can disclose. For the mini pulses, they're so fast and they're so quick. We might only ask, hey, what business unit are you located in or which geography are you a part of? Or do you want to share something else? Rarely in the mini pulses, do we break it down by race, I've mostly seen it broken down by gender, geography, business unit.
0: Perfect. Got it. All right, Steph, hit us with the data.
3: To add to that, while we have the official engagement server for the whole of IBM, the focus that we've done so far with the communities is really on conversation and relationship building, because that's what communities are about. Of course, we can be more structured in running design thinking sessions where we build personas and identify challenges and sentiments, but sometimes the communities just need safe spaces to air out their concerns and have their voices heard. Surveys provide an easier way to collect and present data, but what we also need to kind of do is be sensitive to the needs of the community. We're all very fatigued by unending virtual meetings over and, over and over again, and we're all surveyed out. So, We need to find unique and fun ways to capture sentiment, and sometimes it's simply just a conversation or a cooking event that we had or a mindful laughter session. And if someone says on the chat, or if a lot of people say, "I needed this," or "I needed this break," then you'll know exactly what to do. And I do love talking about this, and I do love this question because numbers, as Joy knows, always makes me happy. It's incredibly difficult to build a program and strategy and tie that to measurable outcomes, but Given that we have layers of strategic priorities, those do not exist without outcomes. So it really depends on the strategic priority, and sometimes that will change over the course of the year, depending on the situation we're in. Like, for example, our CEO, Arvind Krishna, announced that we're removing facial recognition from our AI portfolio. That impacts our priority on good tech and eliminating biases. But to give you an example of what we're measuring in terms of BRGs, I'll give you two, two, growth and impact. Growth in the sense of how many members and, more importantly, allies have you engaged and activated. Because we know that the conversation shouldn't be one-sided. An ally is, for example, an ally who's a manager, who is more educated when it comes to identifying their biases, will allow them to make more just or fair assessment on who to promote an impact by how many volunteer hours you've spent in IBM, we can convert those volunteer hours into grants that people can give to the charity of their choice. So it becomes a very direct measurement of societal impact. And all of these measurements influence much like much bigger goals like retention, attrition, engagement, and of course representation. And to geek out on the numbers when it comes to when it comes to engagement surveys, we are If when we measure the BRG leaders as compared to the whole population of IBM, BRG leaders are five points higher when it comes to inclusion. And then BRG leaders are three points higher when it comes, they are three points more engaged than the entire population of IBM. And those are significant numbers for us, David, right? Because
2: if we can translate somebody's commitment to the organization, let's go back to the things that we were talking about vigor, absorption, dedication. If we know that those leaders and community members are more engaged, then we are even more enthusiastic about increasing our number of BRGs, increasing membership, and then also looking at our global reach of those communities. Because those are staggering statistics for us.
0: Got it. Yeah. And when you're talking about a company with hundreds of thousands of employees, improving it by 3% is actually millions and millions of dollars in terms of employment retention costs and hiring costs and productivity. And we're talking about huge numbers there.
2: Because that's the other side of the coin, right, David? is The other side of the engagement coin is retention. So when we think about the great resignation... And all of the great articles and all of the new research that's coming out, retention is just as important as engagement because who are the people that are going to leave? Well, those that are not engaged, those right. that don't feel a sense of belonging, those that don't feel celebrated, those who don't trust their organization.
0: Engagement's the leading indicator and retention is the lagging indicator, right? It's yeah. pretty fair to assume that employees who are highly unengaged are much more likely to Seek out other opportunities or become TikTok influencers. Those are the options today. Okay. So moving from measurement and success, which that was awesome to hear. Like Y'all are super thorough in in how you're surveying and how you're connecting it back to business metrics, which is really exciting. And if anyone has more questions on that, make sure to pop it in the Q&A. We'll dive in deeper in the Q&A section. Moving into more of the practical, the tactical playbook that you all run. I'd love it if maybe Steph, you could kick us off and talk through how are these programs structured? Like, what are the roles that exist within the ERG programs or the BRG programs? What are the asks of these volunteers? How do they contribute? Like, when you look at your playbook for this whole program, what are the high-level kind of categories of it?
3: Yeah, for sure. And as Joyce mentioned, this is the BRG program has been in existence since 1995. So, processes have been in place, but that's not to say that the processes don't change and become better. So, we always try and find more efficient ways to manage the program. We recently created a single email address owned by the entire team, the DNI team, to monitor questions that are coming in. We have internal websites for each community so that people have a one stop shop for information about the communities they serve. We have automated application and funding processes. We have strategies around cadence and how often BRGs should meet, plan, and what kinds of activities, programs, and policies they should be thinking about. While we have the playbook in place for BRGs to use as a framework, we also have, again, the overarching DNI strategies, the strategic priorities of the Leadership Council, and the BRG goals to guide the BRGs to the right direction and to align our missions. Because at this large scale, consistency and alignment plays a very important role so that we are all going in the same direction. And in terms of those strategic priorities, you can see different interplays that happen between the BRG. If you're thinking of the BRG as at the center of everything, we are supported by what you call a community DNI team, that's our team. So we are managing all of the communities as well as the BRG program. The communities each have a collaboration between with leadership executive leadership councils that Mm -hmm. set the strategic priorities for each community. Because as I mentioned, the priorities are very different. The challenges are very different per community. So we really need that. And again, that rolls up to the DNI strategy. So there are very specific structures in place that support the BRG program. And I'd also like to mention that we're also collaborating with different functions of the organization. So let's say you have local HR and local supports for procurement, legal, corporate health and safety, especially today when we have a lot of challenges when it comes to mental well-being.
0: So super interesting. I wonder if we could even go through maybe like one specific BRG just to give everyone a very like clear reality view of what one of these looks like from like executive sponsorship to what your team does to what like the volunteers do. Like, What does that look like for maybe one of those programs?
2: I'm going to turn it over to Steph in just a second, but David, I did see something, a, a question in the chat I was scanning, and I thought it was important, and I think it's related to this, and this is it goes to a BRG. The question was, and I lost this, so I was scrolling back and forth. Somebody asked a question about starting a BRG and then using that if there's a concern around discriminatory actions or practices or conversations. I'm sorry I lost it, but it, it was in there. So let me talk specifically, David, about an initiative that we did for our Black community and our Pan-Asian community. And this was wrapped around something we called Embrace Safe Conversations. This was very point in time in the moment, how was our community feeling? And so literally what we did, that group of people that you were talking about, our senior vice presidents were hosting what we called Embrace Safe Conversations around the world. Anyone in any um, part of the world who was feeling as though they needed their voice to be heard. It was one of those experiences that I wouldn't say it was a formal program or initiative. We never thought about it before, but we realized, how do we bring this conversation into the workplace? And so the Embrace Safe conversations happened to be one of those experiences where we relied on the governance of our business resource groups. What were our executive sponsors? How did we mobilize? How did we organize? How did we bring people together? who was going to host the conversations? How did we make sure that we created a sense of psychological safety in those discussions? And to Steph's point earlier, what about overall health and well-being? So making sure that we had professionals in those conversations, because people were talking about, this is creating new trauma for them because they were reliving old experiences from maybe a younger age. And so we really, that is one program, one initiative wasn't planned, but it absolutely leveraged what was happening in that moment. How did we worry about the health and well-being of our employees and how did we create a space for them to talk and interact not only with managers, but our senior leaders? So that's one example of something spontaneously that we leveraged the governance We brought the BRGs together. They helped host the conversations. We had leaders there. They knew the community. They were familiar with one another. So some of them were very local. They were very geographic. Maybe it was New York. Maybe it was Florida. Maybe it was Colorado. Maybe it was somewhere in the middle of the country, or maybe it was one that geographic boundary didn't matter. But that's an example of something specific for a community where everyone was invited to participate. We had to leverage the structure of the leaders and leadership in place in order to do that.
3: But, Steph, you might also have another example. Yeah, Joy, Um, as a whole process, as an example, you can have existing BRGs. And let's say a BRG in Austin is wanting to run an event. They would then have conversations with their community leader, that's from our team, to see whether or not it lines up with the priorities that we currently have. Our community leader will also kind of check to see how this aligns with our leadership council priorities. And if you see the alignments there and then start running the events, well, now the BRG gets an approval or gets to apply for funding. And that all aligns because we all talk to each other. Now, this is a different story if we're talking about a BRG outside of the US, because we also have an added layer of a market DI leader. So again, BRTs are supported by different DNI organizations and it all needs to be interconnected and they all need to talk together for any of the BRT initiatives to be successful.
0: Love it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Those are great examples. I appreciate you sharing it. And I've seen in the Q&A, there's some great questions already about specifically how are those volunteers compensated or rewarded or what their motivations are. So I'm going to save those questions for the Q&A. And I'm going to move into my favorite part of the interview, the rapid fire question round. Since we have two of you here, I'm going to keep it to three very important rapid fire questions. All right. So I'm going to ask them in a normal speed, but you're going to answer them very quickly. (laughs) Are you ready?
3: Yep. Go
2: for it. All right.
0: All right. First question. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would that food be? Very important question.
2: Oh, That's so easy for me. Pasta and meatballs,
0: always. It's a complete meal in a a bowl. I love it. (laughs)
3: Mushroom omelet.
2: Mushroom Mushroom omelet
0: for me. All right. Eggs all day. You know, (laughs) the omelet, it gives you some flexibility because you can put anything in the omelet, right? You can never go wrong with eggs. So yeah. (laughs) Love it. Okay, next question. What's your go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter? Steph, maybe you go first on this one.
3: That would be the trip that my spouse and I had in the U.S., which really talks about eventually eases in into the benefits of actually joining and leading BRGs. So we like using that as an example for successful BRGs. Love it. I
2: have to say something about Anthony's comment in the chat, like, bada bing, like, you betcha, Anthony. I loved it. There was Italian all around that for sure. My favorite engagement go-to I think that I'm going to say there's two. One is if somebody is coming to me for help, my big engagement interaction with them is how can I help you? If now I need help from somebody else, I learned something great from a mentor one time. And there's a difference between the word can and will. So if I need to ask somebody for help, I have a tendency to say, will you help me? That is my favorite engagement tactic. Notice that's different than, can you help me? Can you help me? Sure, I can help you. But that's a big difference than, will you help me? And it always gets a different reaction.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. The subtle change in wording can have all the difference in the world in getting people to engage with something. Also, you can see why this program is so successful because asking for one rapid fire answer and Joy just made sure she had to squeeze in two. So you ask for one thing, you're going to get two back from Joy, just so you know. All right. And our last question. If you could distill all of your experience as community builders, as community professionals into one bite-sized piece of advice for other community professionals, what would that advice be?
2: I'm going to keep it to one, but Steph, do you want to go first? So I
3: follow the rules. I got one. (laughs) Yes, sure, Joy. For me... This is always something that I tell people, you are not alone. People tend to fear leading BRGs and communities because it can entail a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of time. But communities are exactly about support. So it comes to BRGs. I always dive when it comes to BRGs, I always dive head-on because I know that there are very wonderful people ready to help and support me. And if something doesn't work, we can always change it. We can always pivot. That's the beauty of being agile. And I'll steal my spouse's line here. I have perpetual consent to do that. When you're in doubt about anything that you'd like to do, ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And most of the time, you'll find that things can actually be very manageable.
0: Mm, I love that. You have a very wise spouse. It sounds like we all need your spouse in our corner. (laughs) And I'll just add to that. It reminds me of advice I got from a mentor a long time ago that always stuck with me. It's similar, but again, subtle difference in words is what is your best worst case scenario? Because we tend to think about the worst case scenario. Like the world's going to collapse. Everyone's going to think I'm a failure. I'm going to fail the community. I'm going to fail my bosses. Like everything's going to go bad. But in reality, there's a best worst case scenario, right? Like, well, if that happens, here are the things I'm going to learn from it. And Here's who I would talk to, and here's how I would get back on my feet. And you realize, like, actually, the worst-case scenario isn't that bad. So I love that advice. All right, Joy, your bite-sized piece of advice for other community professionals based on all of your experience.
2: I'm going to try to keep this to one, and here it goes, David. Can we all make a commitment? And Steph has heard me say this, so she's not going to be surprised. Can we all make a commitment? To leave every conversation and every interaction a little bit better than we found it, just based on how we behave.
0: Mm. How should we behave?
2: I think it's, for me, it's very easy. It goes back to kindness, compassion, sensitivity, empathy. And Steph, I can see you smiling because you know where I'm going to go with this one. And I'm prepared for it because I was hoping you would even ask this question, David. And I didn't know this one was coming. Love. So let me introduce a brand new four-letter word into the workplace. I've never heard of this. (laughs) It's all about bringing love back into the workplace. And for anybody where talking about love in the workplace makes you wiggle in your seat uncomfortable, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, then use the word trust instead. Because when you're talking about agile ways of working, trust, love are super important to creating an
0: environment where belonging happens. Love it. I love the love advice. Thank you, David. Well done. All right. Well, let's turn it over to some questions from the audience. We have a lot of questions here. So you must have said something really smart because people want to learn more. We'll go mostly in order of the votes. So if you haven't voted on the questions you want to see answered, you can go ahead and do that. We'll start off with Patrick's question which you kind of touched on a little bit already. What does the organizational structure of the groups look like? He also asked if there are leads and if they are compensated for their work.
2: Great question. I will take it at a high level and then we we'll turn it over to staff. There is absolutely a governance around our business resource groups. And by the way, they always change. They always evolve. They always need to get better. But one thing in that governance model is an executive sponsor. That is a requirement. We need to make sure that these executives are not only providing advice and guidance, but they also understand more strategically what's happening interconnectedly across the organization. So as a BRG might think about a program or an initiative, that executive sponsor can provide the right amount of championship guidance that we need to ensure that we are driving and aligning with our priorities, focused and strategic. The second thing are the co-chairs and those are volunteer positions. So the positions we talked about earlier, the DNI community leaders around our eight communities, those are full-time regular employees. They sit right inside the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. But our business resource groups, they are volunteers. And how were they compensated? Well, there's a couple of ways. One would be around leadership development, investing back into those who are investing into us. We also have something at IBM called Bluepoints. Blue points are something that we can say, Hey, I appreciate you. Thank you for getting engaged. I'm going to go to our online recognition center and I'm going to give you a certain amount of, each of blue points. You can then go into our internal shopping store and purchase something with those blue points. So it doesn't translate into dollars, it translates into merchandise, but it can actually even be a trip. It's amazing if you accumulate your blue points. We also have like virtual appreciation, so appreciation cards, emojis. And then I would say the last thing about recognizing, you can always compensate somebody with money. A managers do have something called a manager's empowerment fund. So if somebody does go above and beyond, can I go ahead and thank that volunteer and compensate them with financial gifts? And then Steph, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about how you recognized our leaders um, through the awards program that
3: we released this year. Yeah. And, and I can't stress enough the importance of recognition because that drives people to continue what they're very passionate about. And we have several ways of doing that. Joy had mentioned the digital thank you card. She also mentioned blue points. We also write blogs for them to recognize them so that everybody in the company sees the amount of work that they do. We also ask leaders to make personal calls to them. We also have specialty digital badges that they can post on LinkedIn, these are hard-earned badges that is a combination of education and activities that they've done. So that's another form of recognition for them. In fact, just last August, as Joy alluded to, we consider August as BRG Awareness and Appreciation Month, and we recognize 38 outstanding BRG Leaders of the Year for all the work that they did, despite us being in a pandemic. They received all of the things that Joy and I mentioned earlier, plus a goodie box with awesome, awesome merchandise and a special custom-made gift that they can be proud of. In fact, someone in that list said that they would keep that and hand them item that had that special coin over to the next generations of their family. So that really touched on my heartstrings there. Um, We can be very creative and innovative when it comes to recognition because the types of recognition also evolve as the world evolves. And it's easy. It's easy to be trapped in the quickest way, which is to recognize groups of people. So you'll just need to send one card and that has so many names, but that dilutes the experience. And what I'd like to point out for people to feel that the recognition is authentic is that these recognition strategies should tailor fit to the recipient of the recognition and that will make it even more
0: impactful. Mm, I love that. And Lenka had a good follow-up question on recognition. So I'll ask that now. Do people need to fill out some form to specify how they contributed or do you have it automated somehow and you're able to see that? And I'll just say with eight minutes left, we got a lot of questions. So let's move into rapid fire. Maybe just have one of you answer each of these so we can try to get through as many of the questions as possible.
3: Go ahead, Steph. I'll let you take that one. Okay. In terms of recognition, we do have a 360 feedback that's called checkpoint where people can actually put in their goals there and that is visible to their managers so that if they achieve that goal, that becomes part of their appraisal for the year. We also have hours that are spent. It's not necessarily a requirement, but again, the hours spent on volunteering in IBM can be converted into grants. So it's absolutely up to the volunteers to manually input their hours there so that they can, that, that becomes a, a dollar equivalent so that they can put it in the charity of their choice.
0: Love it. Awesome. Okay, next question is from Gabrielle. Do BRG leaders have weekly or monthly hours carved out for the work that's honored within management rather than a volunteer expectation on top of their existing job responsibilities?
2: Yeah, great question. This is always a really important balance. And the reality is some managers are even better at this than others. We do know that there are some managers who literally will carve out a portion of some person's time to do this, especially if it's for a business unit or a geographic location. So whether it's um, tied to their job or whether it's a volunteer, this goes back to what Steph was talking about, recognition. We do have that leadership council Sometimes we will reach out to those mentors or people that we coach or sponsor and say, Great leadership development opportunity, great exposure, great opportunity and movement to your next position. And sometimes we will reach out to those leaders and say, Great opportunity for your individual to try on some new leadership skills and tactics in a safe place where it's not necessarily going to hurt their performance, but they get to do some sense making as they lead BRG activities. So some managers carve out the time. Sometimes we ask managers to carve out time for this person as a leadership development activity. And other times people just balance it as a work of passion. It's amazing
0: what people do. Love it. Yep, always a struggle in any internal community program. All right, next question from Rubina. Is there a step-by-step playbook to help us launch an ERG. I don't know if we're gonna be able to answer what the whole playbook is at Rapid Fire, but maybe if there's somewhere people can go to see kind of how you launch it, or if not, maybe we could do a follow-up and put that together for you.
2: Steph, I'm gonna let you take that because I saw the
3: brilliance of what the team is creating around a virtual playbook. So I'll let you take that. So yes, we do have a playbook that we're actually writing, but I don't know if that's going to be available outside of IBM. So we'll, we'll see if, whether or not the content can be published. But what we do, my spouse and I actually go out to to events to talk about how to engage and how to create A employee resource groups. And we have a process to do it. We do design thinking sessions. And please connect with me through LinkedIn and we can talk about it.
0: All right. Maybe you got a little back channel there. That sounds good. <laughs>
3: And David, you just,
2: you might've motivated or inspired us into action. So I can't remember who you said asked that question, but we do, we have written white papers from time to time. And because this is something that we've been doing for over 25 years, we forget that there are organizations out there who can really think what we are doing is valuable and important. And yet it's something that we just, I hate to say it, it's become habit for us. We know how to do it, but- I love the idea of maybe creating, writing a white paper, creating a structure or a framework, because we like to think of diversity and inclusion as being competitive agnostic, right? We all have bold, audacious goals um, to make the world a better place. And so as diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals, maybe it's incumbent upon us to give back, create it in a format, maybe in a white paper that says, hey, if this is something that you're thinking about doing Here's a general structure. And then that way it's not proprietary sitting on our website, but somebody can pick up and use and implement immediately. So that great suggestion that might turn into a white paper. So stay tuned.
0: I love it. Well, when it's published, we'll share it with the entire CMX and Bevy community for sure. All right, maybe we have time for one or two more. This one's from Shandi, a a very important question. I think when an organization is committed to, to DEI, there's still going to be a number of instances where you have to engage in difficult, uncomfortable conversations around discrimination, unconscious biases, or employees act in a way that doesn't align with your DEI values. How do you start those conversations and how do you manage those conversations successfully?
2: Wow. Uh, this is such a great question. And boy, we could take an entire podcast to talk about this.
0: Yeah, 90 <laughs> seconds. <laughs>
2: 90 seconds. I think there are a couple of things. It's about trying to create a culture across the entire ecosystem where allyship, diversity, equity, and inclusion are part of all of those processes. So even if you're trying to attract talent, hopefully you're demonstrating that you're a thought leader and people go, gosh, that's an organization where I can see myself. Uh, They get onboarded and maybe they have a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose. They know that what they are doing is contributing to a bigger mission. Okay, now I'm here. How do I grow my skills? How do I give back? How do I get promoted? And then let's even talk about somebody ending their career at your organization. Don't you want to make sure that throughout that life cycle, even if they choose to leave your organization for something better, that they go, I had a really great experience while I was there because here's something that we always forget, companies, your reputation after people leave you is just as important as the reputation of when people join your organization. So we want to make sure that when people join the organization, they have also an equally good experience when they leave the organization and say, I'm going to take some things from that because throughout my entire life cycle, I felt as though I was valued and included. So creating a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, mattering throughout the life cycle. It's not just one and done. It's never an initiative.
0: Love it. Well, I think that's probably about the amount of time we have. So I just want to close out and give you both an opportunity to share where can people go to continue to learn from you or follow your work online? And if you have any closing thoughts.
2: Yeah, I would say there's, it's going to go back to what I said earlier and that obviously follow Steph and I on LinkedIn. I think that's a one really great way to follow what we do. If we publish a blog, if we launch a white paper, it's probably going to be there. Same thing as our, our Be Equal website. So externally, the IBM website for diversity and inclusion is beequal.com. Go there, a lot of really great stuff. And then I'm going to close with a quote from Maya Angelou. And this is what I'm going to, my parting comment. One of her most famous bodies of work is when she used the quote that said, people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So it goes back to my comment earlier. Will you make a commitment to leave every conversation a little bit better than you found
3: it based on how you behave? I couldn't top that. So I'll let Joy finish <laughs> with that.
0: <laughs> I can't stop it either. So, um, oh,
2: gosh. Well,
0: one of the most comprehensive and impressive programs in the community world that I've seen. I know we could talk for hours and keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the details. And exactly how you run the surveys. I have more questions for holding back, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time. And I hope, and I'm sure it's not the last time that we'll, we'll be all learning a great deal from you.
2: David, I was going to ask, when's our next invitation? And we're coming <laughs> back to Bevy, right, Steph? I mean, this was- brilliant. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Love it. Well, I'll let Marcia answer that question and take it away as we move into the networking rooms.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much to both of you for participating. That was incredible. We're always looking for new speakers. This is a continuing series. So I'd love to have both of you back at some point. And also anybody that's here in the audience that's watching that maybe wants to take the stage and and share their community strategies, we'd love to have you as well. And you'll see in the survey that I'll send after the event there's a spot for that so if you are interested in being a speaker please let us know and or contact me directly if that's easier as well
0: the masters of community is brought to you by cmx the world's largest network of community professionals and bevy the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands this episode was edited and produced by finesse media music was provided by seiji cataldo and design was provided by virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.